welcome to Farm, your host, John Bazzano. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice and supporting sponsor of Farm, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. This week we have a new drug to talk about, pralcetinib. It is the second uh, RET inhibitor approved for metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. And just as a quick one-minute review here, uh, 15 years ago we treated metastatic non-small cell lung cancer with a platinum doublet. Didn't matter the platinum, didn't matter the doublet, or the dance partner. Platinum doublet. Uh, and then we had bevacizumab, which added a, a median of two months to overall survival, uh, except in squamous cell carcinoma patients. They bled. We didn't give it to them. Uh, and then we learned, based on the Scagliotti paper um, and, and subsequent papers, and there's a podcast about that, uh, that pemetrexid uh, doesn't work as well in squamous cell histology and it became the preferred treatment for, say, adeno and large cell histology. Uh, around this time, we had been using uh, erlotinib and gefitinib to treat EGFR. Uh, no, take that back. We'd just been using them for everybody with metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, but around uh, this time, we started to see uh, some subtle nuance uh, that really it was those with adeno who were uh, Asian and non-smokers. Uh, and, and female, they were the young. They were the ones who seemed to do the best with EGFR inhibitors. And we learned that's because they were more likely to have EGFR-mutated uh, disease. Uh, so then we learned about uh, preferentially using TKIs to target uh, specific mutations. First in EGFR, and then ALK, then ROS1, and then BRAF, and MET exon 14 skipping, and RET. So we have two RET inhibitors, uh, pralcetinib, uh, brand name Gavretto, and selpercatinib, brand name uh, Retevmo. Uh, they both have uh, the initials. Uh, pralcetinib is blue 667. Huh, no, it's BLU667, and selpercatinib is LOXO292. Um, Selpercatinib is uh, proved not just for lung cancer, but also some thyroid cancer indications. Uh, Pralcetinib just has the, the metastatic non-small cell lung cancer uh, indication. Now, as a review of, of RET fusion positive non-small cell lung cancer, it tends to be uh, adenocarcinoma uh, in younger patients below the age of 60 uh, with little to no smoking history. It tends to be a poorly differentiated disease and pretty aggressive. And this is present about 1% to 2% of non-small cell lung cancers. Uh, you can look in the literature um, and find uh, that RET fusion disease has been documented as a method of resistance to OC-martinib and EGFR mutated disease. Uh, this was published by Piotrowska and colleagues in Cancer Discovery, uh, December 2018. Uh, they actually have a couple case reports they describe where they, they actually uh, got, uh, they, they did a study protocol on IND for uh, individual patients to combine uh, pralcetinib and ocimertinib, but that should be done in that setting uh, based uh, on study, uh, not uh, some cowboy treatment. Uh, so as we compare these drugs, uh, you know, we're going to see at the end here that there, there's no head-to-head comparison, of course. So really when you're picking these drugs, you're picking them based off of probably their tolerability and their convenience. Uh, they both inhibit wild-type RET. They both inhibit the RET fusion product CCD6C, CCDC6, which is uh, seen a whole bunch in thyroid cancer, uh, as well as the KIF5B RET fusion product, which is primarily seen in lung cancer, seen quite a bit in lung cancer. Uh, in the two pivotal studies here, you're talking, you know, uh, well over 50% of patients in these studies had the, the KIF5B fusion product. And then there are a few um, point mutations, uh, like uh, RET-V804M is inhibited by both, but there are some differences uh, between um, those mutations uh, and which, which drug may have activity and which one may not between pralcetinib, pralcetinib sorry, uh, 
and selpercatinib. Uh, they both inhibit VEGF receptor, um, which uh, leads to uh, a large chunk of their toxicity profile, as well as uh, VEGFR1. Um, uh, Pralcetinib uh, also inhibits uh, FLT3 and JAK1 and 2, which we'll see may make a difference in its toxicity profile. From a dosing standpoint, uh, uh, pralcetinib is, is once daily, uh, but it does have to be on an empty stomach, so it needs to be taken one hour before food or two hours after eating, whereas selpercatinib is BID and can be taken largely without regard for meals. Uh, both drugs have warning statements for hepatotoxicity and do require LFT monitoring. It's kind of the typical, like, I think it's every two weeks for the first three months and then monthly thereafter. Um, can both cause uh, embryo-fetal toxicity. Uh, and then our, our constellation of VEGF inhibiting toxicities, hypertension, uh, hemorrhagic events, impaired wound healing, and there are some uh, specific instructions uh, with pralcetinib about when to hold the drug before surgery and, and how long to wait after surgery to resume it, as we see in many PIs with drugs that inhibit VEGF. Um, you know, hypertension was seen in, in maybe 30% of patients, 30 to 40%, uh, depending on which drug. About half of those were grade 3 hypertension events, which is a systolic blood pressure above 160. Uh, the differences in the serious toxicities uh, lie with uh, pralcetinib, uh, having a small risk of interstitial lung disease that was, has not been seen so far with selpercatinib, and I certainly would not be surprised if we saw that, as many TKIs, especially ones that treat lung cancer, do have a risk of interstitial lung disease, so far only documented with pralcetinib. However, selpercatinib uh, does some, cause a little bit of QT prolongation and does cause hypersensitivity reactions in a decent percentage of folks that need to be treated with one mg per kg of prednisone or prednisone equivalent. Uh, as far as other ADRs, you see the typical, you know, fatigue and some diarrhea, uh, usually a little bit more diarrhea than the constipation that you see. Some electrolyte abnormalities uh, like hypocalcemia, uh, maybe hypophosphatemia. Uh, but the big thing I want to point out are some hematologic toxicities. And I mentioned that pralcetinib inhibits FLT3 and JAK1 and 2. Now, it's not a real potent inhibitor, but enough that you do see a little bit more cytopenias than you would see, uh, than you would expect with a TKI. So with uh, pralcetinib, we see neutropenia in half of the patients, 10% uh, of those, so 1 in 10 having a grade 3 neutropenia, or, or worse, which would be an ANC less than 1,000. By contrast, with selpercatinib, only 1.6% uh, had a grade 3 leukopenia. Uh, you saw, um, uh, you know, you know, about a third of patients had some degree of thrombocytopenia with both drugs. Uh, but what is notable here, I think, with pralcetinib is that over half the patients had lymphopenia, so half the patients, 52% exactly, had neutropenia, 52% had uh, uh, lymphopenia. Uh, but what's worrisome is that 20% of patients had a grade 3 or 4 lymphopenia. Uh, and, uh, you know, we don't know how long that lymphopenia lasts, but if it lasts uh, persistently, you, you start to see, or you would expect to see perhaps a higher risk of PJP, which hasn't been described, but as we'll see, hasn't been studied in a whole lot of patients. Um, of course, we have to worry about drug-drug interaction with both of these drugs. They're both three or four substrates, so we have. To, I think we know what to do if somebody's on ketoconazole. That's really all we know what to do as far as uh, dose reductions for these drugs. Uh, the true drug-drug interaction profile is going to require some some use in in the, the uh, in the clinics, uh, and hopefully some dedicated drug-drug interaction study because. Uh, pralcetinib's package insert claim uh, has it as a time-dependent 3-4 inhibitor and also a 3-4 inducer, so we'd really like to see what that does with, uh, you know, something like, uh, I don't know, simvastatin uh, or midazolam. I'd like to have some data there. And then I'll also point out that selpercatinib does have a decreased uh, absorption in an uh, 
patients on acid suppressive therapy. So with PPIs, for example, if you take it on an empty stomach, you have very decreased absorption of selpercatinib pavirubitate. With food, selpercatinib, you can overcome the PPI effect, and then you'd have to space out from a once-daily H2 receptor antagonist on selpercatinib. Um, so drug-drug interaction profile we'd have to sort out when deciding on maybe which drug to use. From an efficacy standpoint, I use efficacy with a question mark because, of course, this is a single-arm study in both cases, based, and they're proved based on the surrogate marker of response rate. Um, both drugs were studied in two cohorts, a tr cohort that had received prior chemo and then one that was treatment-naive. For uh, pralcetinib, uh, we have an N of 87 in our prior chemo group, 53% uh, uh, white, 35% Asian, 43% uh, with history of CNS disease, 45% uh, had prior immunotherapy. Uh, now, the overwhelming fusion product in uh, with the pralcetinib study was uh, the KIF-5B fusion product was seen in 75%, and 17% had the CCDC6 fusion product. So those are the two most common fusion products. Uh, if you had one of these, you know, 804 mutations, not a lot of folks like that in the study, so it's hard to extrapolate maybe a response rate to those folks. The objective response rate in patients who had received chemo was 80, sorry, it was 57%, mostly PRs, 5% uh, complete response rate. 80% uh, had a duration of response more than six months, uh, so seemed to be good responses in those who did have a response. We see that our response rate's a little bit higher in the treatment naive cohort that was a smaller cohort, only 27 patients, um, and 11% complete response rate. So as you would expect, if you have a drug that is active in a disease state, if uh, in a malignancy, if you move it to an earlier line of therapy, you would expect a higher response rate, which is what we see here. Um, and that's very similar to what we saw with selpercatinib, uh, overall response rate of 64% in a prior, in a pre-treated patient population and 85% in a treatment naive patient population. So yeah, close enough uh, that I would call those similar uh, when you have just, uh, you know, single arm studies. So, you know, would love to see head-to-head -head comparisons to see is one better. That will be years from now if that ever happens. Um, uh, we'd like to see, you know, uh, these drugs compared in, in the second line setting perhaps to second line chemo or compared to second line chemo to see what happens uh, to ensure that they do actually uh, at least improve progression-free survival, ideally overall survival. So we now have two, uh, two uh, RET inhibitors, and uh, they inhibit several other kinases, but really they're, they're much more potent at hitting these RET infusion products. I would not anticipate them being used, uh, you know, for, to target other, um, uh, you know, like VEGF, for example. We wouldn't do it for that. But if you had RET fusion products in other disease states as part of a tumor board, molecular tumor board, that sort of stuff will happen. And... Um, you know, potentially using pralcetinib to treat uh, like medullary thyroid cancer or, or, or other thyroid cancers like selpercatinib is something that uh, I would expect to see studied in the future. So that's what I have this week. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at FirmDeetnib. Follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you, remember, doses matter.